Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for a touchdown. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you have decided to close out the week with us leading into NFL Divisional Playoff Weekend. Eight teams, four games after Sunday night. We will know the AFC Championship game and the end. FC championship game. Of course, one weekend or one year ago this weekend, the Jacksonville Jaguars were still playing. They would be at Arrowhead. They would give the Chiefs all they wanted. They would lose in the divisional round. And we thought, eh, you know, we'll be right back in this situation in 2023. And that obviously did not happen. Jaguars have been on the sidelines now for a couple of weeks. They have fired 10 coaches and they are still looking to hire a brand new defensive coordinator but we're going to do a lot on the National Football League tonight as you would imagine we're going to preview a lot of the games in fact coming up in less than 20 minutes we will go out to Kansas City my buddy Seren Petro the host of the program on sports radio 810 in Kansas City he's our guy when it comes to the Chiefs we'll talk a little Jawan Taylor we'll talk Patrick Mahomes we'll talk Travis Kelsey heck we'll even talk a little Taylor Swift And what is going to happen when Mahomes and the Chiefs play the first road playoff game in Patrick Mahomes' career? Yeah, he has never played a road playoff game. He will Sunday night in front of the Bills Mafia there in Orchard Park, New York. So, Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in less than 20 minutes. And coming up later on in the 8 o'clock hour, my buddy Mike Neighbors. You might remember Mike long ago, First Coast News. He lives in the Tampa area. He covers both the Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints for the NFC South. And we'll preview Tampa Bay and Detroit. I'll also throw in maybe a Bill Belichick question, as it appears anyway, appears that Bill Belichick may be on his way to the NFC South. He reportedly met for the second time with the Atlanta Falcons today. And you would have to think a second meeting, Bill Belichick, Arthur Blank, Could a deal be imminent? We'll see. We know one of the jobs was filled today. Antonio Pierce, the interim role, was taken off, and he is now the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And I would anticipate beginning Monday, you will start seeing some of these head coaching spots getting filled. But again, Seren Petro in Kansas City, Mike Neighbors in Tampa coming up within the next 45 minutes. As we do every night to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night, and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. couple of things I want to get to surrounding the divisional playoff. A little bit on Sports Illustrated. Feel bad for a lot of people today, and we'll get to those momentarily. But 
here on the 19th day of January. We'll kick it off. It's mock draft season, ladies and gentlemen. Now we're a little late to the party. There was a time here on Hacker After Dark that we would be well in to mock draft season after Halloween, certainly after Thanksgiving. At least the Jaguars collapse happened at the very end of the year. So we had some resemblance of hope that they would make the playoffs as recently as 12 days ago. But of course, those dreams were shattered and crushed in Nashville by the Tennessee Titans. So now it is mock draft season. And Daniel Jeremiah, NFL.com, NFL Network, I think he's one of the best in the business, put out mock draft 1.0. And as we all know in this process, it doesn't get serious until like 4.0, right? 4.0, all right, there are things to discuss at that point. 1.0, they're just throwing things against a wall. But how anybody that does mock drafts for a living could put the Jacksonville Jaguars in this spot earlier today is a head-scratcher for me. I'm sure most of you have seen it by now in the event you have not. Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network at pick 17 in round number one in his 1.0 mock draft had the Jacksonville Jaguars taking Quinion Mitchell, a cornerback from Toledo. I don't care about the school. I don't even care about the name. I care about the position. A cornerback. No, no, no. Now, this could change when free agency gets here. But until free agency gets here and we see the lay of the land at that point, I am going to be screaming into this microphone every single night. At pick 17, you better draft an offensive lineman. I don't care what position, take a tackle, take a guard, take a center, take the best offensive lineman on the board, but in no way, shape, or form am I getting out of round one with the way the roster is right now on the 19th day of January, and I'm putting a mock draft together, and I don't have the Jacksonville Jaguars drafting an offensive lineman. It may not be the sexiest pick. It may not get people motivated or fired up to go out and purchase season tickets, but it is what the Jaguars need. Your job, your sole purpose in life this offseason, if you are Trent Baalke and you are Doug Peterson, and I guess if you're Shad Khan and everybody down there with the Jaguars, your sole purpose in life is to protect Trevor Lawrence something you did not do this year. They need, to me, minimum two, probably three new starting offensive linemen. I'll have a conversation with you about Ezra Cleveland, but he's also an unrestricted free agent. You need a new center, you need a new right guard, minimum. Minimum. And you know me, I've heard from enough people now, enough people that I trust, that I believe Anton Harrison's going to be the left tackle. So you may need a new starting right tackle, depending on what your thoughts are on Walker Whittle. But when these mock drafts begin to come out, there is no way, absolutely no way, that I'm taking anything other than offensive linemen. What did we say this offseason, right? When everybody was healthy, and you had Trevor Lawrence and ETN and Kirk and Jones and Ridley and Ingram, that's great, man. That's wonderful. Agnew, you throw them all in there. 
Second round pick on a Britain Strange at tight end. Third round pick, Tank Bigsby at running back. That's all great. But if your offensive line isn't any good, none of it matters. And guess what? For a large portion of the year, the offensive line wasn't any good. So none of it mattered. You can have the best skill position players on the planet. If your guys can't get open because your offensive line's getting your quarterback killed, none of it matters. You can have the best running back on earth. Your running back is meaningless without an offensive line that can open holes for him. So, no. They are not taking a corner, at least in any mock draft I'm doing, until free agency, and then we see what happens. They are taking offensive linemen. Give me the big uglies, man. In fact, in this particular mock draft, there were five offensive linemen that went after the Jaguars pick at 17. I would take any of them. I don't know a thing about most of them, but I would take any of them. Give me somebody six foot five, 305, 310 pounds. That's what I'm looking for. And quite frankly, after I take an offensive lineman in round one, I may do it again in round two. Give me a 300-pound defensive interior lineman in round three. I'm about the big uglies on the line of scrimmage this year. Give me big bodies at the line of scrimmage. Interior, O-lineman, interior, D-lineman. The Jaguars have absolutely got to rebuild the lines of scrimmage. Will it be sexy? Will it be flashy? Will it be exciting? Maybe not. But it will be effective come September and October when Trevor Lawrence isn't running for his life and when ETN's not getting tackled every single time he touches the ball three yards in the backfield because your offensive lineman couldn't block me or Denmark towards the end of the year. It was absolutely ridiculous. So those are my thoughts on any mock draft that you see. You got to take offensive linemen. Sad day, Sports Illustrated today. Uh, apparently is basically at the end, right? I haven't had a subscription to Sports Illustrated in years. Um, some of the things they started doing, you know, whatever. I, I, I didn't necessarily agree with some of the things they were doing, to be honest. I thought their website was not very good. They got bought out by this a national agency, and it just got a bunch of – it wasn't very good. Let's just put it that way. It wasn't very good, but it's still a sad day when I can go up into my attic right now, and I bet you I have hundreds, and I'm not sugarcoating that. I'm not exaggerating that. I bet I have hundreds of Sports Illustrated's. Of course, Denmark, I was always fond of the swimsuit issue. As that, was everybody that else. That came out every year. I got a nice collection of those. But even beyond the swimsuit issue, I do have one framed, and that was, I think, Danny Warfel on the cover after Florida beat Florida State 52-20. That's in my attic somewhere. I know it's got a frame because I remember doing it. Denmark, you're 15 years younger than me. Do you appreciate Sports Illustrated at all? Oh, yeah. I, pr I still appreciate magazines. I had uh, I can't remember the last Sports Illustrated magazine I have, but I had quite a few, uh, like when I was in elementary school and then right at the beginning of middle school. Yeah. Look, I mean, every – I think it was Tuesday. Every Tuesday when I was in middle school and high school, I'd run to my mailbox because I had a subscription to Sports Illustrated. Now, again, that was 25 years ago, right, 20 years ago. Golly, I'm getting old. But every Tuesday it would come in, and truthfully, at Denmark, you know right where it would go? It would go right into the men's room, in my uh, in my upstairs bedroom. 
And that was my reading for the week uh, there as I was uh, enjoying myself in the mornings, you know, with the, the daily devotional. But that's what, I mean, I used to read Sports Illustrated all the time. And then as you get older and the evolution of the internet and the evolution of the 24-hour news cycle and the evolution of social media, it just kind of went to the wayside, as most things tend to do in that, um, I guess, area of sports coverage, sports journalism. But all the SI writers, now like Matt Verderam, we have him on, Gilbert Manzano, they do a great job at SI.com. I love talking football with those two guys. I'm really hoping that they land somewhere. I know they will. They're very, very good at what they do. But it's a tough day in that regard, man, no question. And it happens. ESPN, the magazine, went under, right? I mean, these things happen with publications like that. But this was Sports Illustrated, the SI, the SI cover. And and to think that that's no more, basically, the way I'm reading it, it's mass layoffs. It's no more. It's kind of a sad day. Certainly a sad day in sports media with a lot of people getting laid off, and that totally sucks in where we are in today's society. But, uh, yeah, the fact that Sports Illustrated's gone did kind of hit me in the feels earlier today. There is absolutely no question about that. SI did a great job for years covering the National Football League, and that's what we will do tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Now, we've already talked about San Francisco and Green Bay with my guy Jose Sanchez out in San Francisco earlier in the week. We're going to touch upon the other three divisional games, and we will begin with what is the best game of the weekend. Kansas City at Buffalo, the Bills Mafia. Boy, you know they will be ready for Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and I guess Taylor Swift, right? And that'll be interesting if she interacts with the Bills Mafia there in Buffalo. But it's the Mahomes' first road playoff game that he's ever had. The intrigue to me in this one is all-time high. It is absolutely appointment viewing. My buddy Seren Petro is the afternoon host at Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. He's my guy when it comes to the Chiefs. I want to talk Jawan Taylor. I want to talk Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I'll throw a Taylor Swift question. What the heck? Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810, previewing Chiefs, Bills, next. Friday night edition, Hacker After Dark, and Jacksonville, as always, we are glad you are with us. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The divisional playoffs in both the AFC and the NFC this weekend And let's be honest, the marquee game that everybody is looking forward to, Kansas City, Buffalo, what a matchup that should be in the state of New York Sunday evening. With that, let me go out to Kansas City. My buddy Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Seren, how we doing? I'm doing well. How are you, my friend? Seren, we're good. Thank you for the time. You and I haven't spoke since... Kansas City beat Jacksonville in week two, and Kansas City always uh, beats Jacksonville. That's nothing new there. But in totality, Saran, before we dive into the matchup on Sunday, what about this season for the Chiefs? I mean, maybe not the easiest season, but yet here we are in the divisional round, and of course the Chiefs are still standing. Yeah, you know, it's been a season of ups and downs. I don't think it was the year that Chiefs fans thought it would be. It's not the year that I thought it would be. 
I think this team, you know, it's lived up to its billing on the defensive side. I think you can look at the personnel and the extra year of experience. I think they started five rookies in the Super Bowl, or at least five played heavily, and you knew that all those players were back uh, once Chris Jones came in from uh, his holdout after week one. And you thought, okay, that, that personnel is really good. They've lived up to the billing. On the offensive side, I thought that they were better at tackle. I, I, they have not been better at tackle. I think they've got the ability to be better at tackle, but they haven't been. A lot of penalties out of Ochoan Taylor and Donovan Smith. Donovan Smith being hurt down the stretch, although he came back in the wild card game. And then the receiving core, uh, you know, they, they weren't as good last year as they were uh, the year before in 2021 without Tyreek Hill, but they were good enough. And without Juju Smith-Schuster, who, when healthy, is a very good wide receiver, uh, just wasn't healthy enough, and that's proven out with the Patriots, that was a, a big problem. And Rasheed Rice has grown into that role and probably even uh, exceeded what uh, they were getting from Juju Smith-Schuster here with, here with the Chiefs. Now, at the end, the problem is every other wide receiver seems to have taken a step back, and Travis Kelsey seems to be starting to feel uh, the effects of father time. I think the NFL defensive coordinator is having you know, five, six years to figure out how to – defend Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid have taken a bigger step forward. So, you know, the offense has been a disappointment this year, no doubt. They're making some strides. They've simplified some things. They're trying to make it a little bit, uh, you know, more combat, uh, compatible to what it is, the skill set of their players, as opposed to trying to grow their players into what it is they want to do. And so the hope is that they're playing their best football right now. You mentioned Jawan Taylor. We were shocked here in Jacksonville with the money that he got out there. I know the talk initially was he was going to play left tackle for the Chiefs. That obviously didn't happen. He's been on the right side. The penalties is what everybody talks about with him. How would you assess year one for Jawan out there? You know, the Chiefs have a number of offensive linemen. Like Creed Humphrey struggles with the snap. After that, he's a great center, right? But he's going to roll one back to Patrick Mahomes. He's going to shoot a couple off to the side that Patrick Mahomes is going to have to be a catcher and go get the wild pitch on, which which affects them. And then Juwan Taylor, you know, once he gets lined up, if he can get lined up, uh, then he's pretty good, right? A couple of holding penalties here and there. If you've got a franchise quarterback, you don't mind that. You'd rather have a holding than have your guy take a clean shot. So those don't bother as much. But it's it's the false starts. It's it's the being lined up, you know. And, and early on, I think he was a target. And Andy Reeve even said as much. You know, he acknowledged, look, he's got to get lined up one week. And then the next week, he's like, all right, now they're just picking on him. Right, because he's not lining up any different than anybody else. And I don't know if that got in his head uh, or this is just the player that he is, you know, uh, sloppy, imprecise. Uh, we're going to find out, you know, down the stretch here and, and into next year because you, you mentioned they gave him a lot of money. He's not going anywhere. He's going to be their guy. And I think right tackles where they always wanted him. I think Donovan Smith, uh, you know, trying to come back from injury and have a prove-it season was always kind of – on the back burner, and uh, they knew that they could go that direction if they needed to. But it, it's been an issue, and it's been really frustrating for a lot of Chiefs fans because they know how much he was paid, and you you expect more. Listen, with the check comes expectations, and he has not met those expectations. I, I think the hope is that he can meet them down the road, but it's a big test for Andy Heck, who's given a lot of credit as their offensive line coach. I, I think you can – uh, certainly say that this year has been a giant disappointment for him, but a giant disappointment for Andy Heck because a lot of those penalties were there down in Jacksonville. The expectation was that the Chiefs were going to coach him better, and that hasn't been the case. Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, the offense. Obviously, so much has been made about the wide receivers. You mentioned Rice. I agree. He's really come on as of late. And then let's talk about Travis Kelsey. Still the best tight end in football, 
first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. But clearly, Seren, it does look like Travis Kelsey is not the guy we have seen in the previous four or five years. Listen, I, I will not fault anybody for taking a day off, taking a game off when you have that opportunity, when you're locked in where you are playoff-wise. And it, it, I'm sure it was Travis Kelsey's choice to let Chris Jones uh, chase his last sack to get a million and a quarter bonus. There was no bonus tied to getting an eighth consecutive 1,000-yard season, and no other tight end has had more than three consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. So Travis Kelsey's uh, place in, in Canton, as you, as you mentioned, is, is certain, and it's, and it's first ballot. But I think it does say a little bit about where he is right now, physically where he is as far as the fight within him. You know, 16 yards is what he needed to have an eight consecutive 1,000-yard season. And, and he chose to sit. And, you know, I think that shows the big picture, that there's not as much in the tank. He knows there's not as much in the tank. And he needs the rest. So physically, 34 going on 35 years old. You know, Kelsey, I think, understands that, you know, he's coming down the stretch run and he's got bursts of, of what he's been but he can't be what he's been all the time. And I think the Chiefs understand that as well. That's why the development of Rashi Rice has been so important. I mean, he and probably Isaiah Pacheco are now more important components to the offense. Uh, Travis Kelsey benefits from that. And that's, and that's all right. That's how it's supposed to be in the NFL. You don't play at a high level unless you're Tom Brady, uh, but you certainly don't at any of the other positions play at a high level uh, into your 40s. So, this was always going to come. This day was always going to happen. The Chiefs needed to get other weapons. They've got them. They've got a couple that I mentioned that are playing really well. And, uh, and now Travis Kelsey doesn't have to be what the old Travis Kelsey was. He can settle in and be the second option and be one of the best second options in football, right? He still makes them a very dangerous offense. He's just not the number one guy anymore. I'm curious out there in Kansas City, obviously the Taylor Swift thing, people outside of Kansas City at this point, I think, roll their eyes every time the TV cameras are all over Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. How is that being received out there in KC? Uh, you know, listen, uh, there, there's some people that roll their eyes as well. Some of the, like, oh, let's talk about football people or why are they showing her? I don't know. The biggest star in the world is sitting in your stadium rooting for your team. Uh, if you're the Chiefs, you want to capitalize on that. And I, and I think the NFL wants to capitalize on that. There are many women uh, who never watch football that tune in to a Chiefs game just to see if they're going to show Taylor Swift. And I don't know why you wouldn't promote that. Uh, they promote, you know, the camera on celebrities all the time. This is the biggest celebrity in the world. And I think there's a little bit of, listen, let's be honest, jealousy uh, from a lot of people. Wow, she's making, what is it, $2 million a concert or something, going to make a billion, billion and a half, $2 billion on her tour when it's all, all said and done. I think for a lot of people, they're like, wow, that, that kind of sits wrong uh, with me. And, you know, for whatever reason, you know, jealousy rears its head and, and people don't like it. But I don't understand why the NFL shouldn't show a group of people having a good time. They, they don't go up to, to the booth and take a look at, at her, you know, throwing drinks on fans, which one of their owners did. Uh, they don't, she's not, you know, picking fights with people. You know, we don't, it's, it's just somebody at a football game enjoying the game uh, who's dating one of the players. I think a lot of people, you need to check yourself. If you got a big problem with uh, Taylor Swift being in a football game, having a good time, uh, I think you need to look in the mirror. Yeah, we know all about the drink throwing. David Tepper did that here in Jacksonville, the yeah. owner of the yeah. Carolina Panthers. A couple more for Seren Petro of Sports Radio 810. Seren, the AFC playoffs for years have basically been referred to as the Arrowhead Invitational. I I'm stunned by this. Patrick Mahomes will play his first ever road playoff game on Sunday, and it happens to come in Orchard Park, New York, against the Bills Mafia. And I'm sure Kansas City knows this. 
Boy, the Bills Mafia is waiting for Kansas City. There is no question about that. Yeah, and, and, you know, we'll see how many of them make it into the stadium after breaking their hip, jumping off an RV <laughs> onto a burning table, and and uh, whether or not they can get the snow out to where, uh, you know, they can have full capacity in the stadium. I think everybody's waiting for it. We're waiting for it here in Kansas City. Scott Van Pelt on ESPN has been clamoring about it for several years, about waiting to see it, and I get it. And we knew it would come one day. It's finally here. And I don't think there's really any pressure on Patrick Mahomes. I think the pressure's on Josh Allen, right? He hasn't been able to get over the Patrick Mahomes playoff uh, hill uh, to this point, and now he's at home. So what's going to be the excuse for the Buffalo Bills if they don't get it done now? You know, running into the Chiefs and losing to a team that goes on and wins the championship or won the championship the last year, you know, that's okay. It's not okay when you're playing a team that has the worst record they've had in the Patrick Mahomes era and you're at home. And so I think really all the pressure is on the Bills. I mean, everybody wanted this. Well, now they got it. So now you better benefit from it. And if you don't, uh, you're going to look foolish. And people are going to say that Josh Allen can't win the big one and Josh Allen can't get by Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has got two MVPs, two championships, three conference championships under his belt. I mean, his legacy, he's won a playoff game in every year that he's you know been a starter in the NFL. You know, his legacy is pretty secure right now. And I think it's Josh Allen – that has some boxes that need to be checked. So I actually think the Chiefs go out there as loose as they could be because all the pressure is on the other side. But, you know, it is a, a great opportunity uh, for the Chiefs to prove some people that they can do more than just win at home. Uh, the recipe is to get home field advantage and win. They've done that. Now they get a chance to show that, hey, even when they're not in their best during a regular season, they can put it together at the end and do some damage in the postseason on the road, maybe go all the way. Uh, we'll find out. But it starts with uh, a very tough game, a game that's tougher than what they had against Miami uh, because Miami was just so beat up on the defensive side of the ball. Bills have taken on a lot of water on that side of the ball as well. But uh, but they're at home. They're in better shape than the Dolphins were. And there should be no excuses for the Bills not winning this game. Seren, final question. To me, it's six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. I don't know which way I'm going to go with that game on Sunday. But if Buffalo does come out on top, how would this season be looked at in KC would it be a disappointment yeah I think this one would be a disappointment I, I've said what I would really love to see for this season is for them or for this playoff season is for them to get to the AFC championship game I think it's pretty cool that they played in uh, five straight conference championship games every time Patrick Mahomes has been their starting quarterback they've gone to the conference championship game at least and I think keeping that streak together would be great. Eight in a row by the Patriots with Tom Brady is the record, so why not try to chase that? So this one is really big to me. I think this, for me, is the tilting point on what will or won't be a success. Look, we've come to realize the team's not as good as we thought it was coming out of uh, training camp. However, you know, the opportunity's there. You just got to win one football game now, right? Like, it's, it's, it's a one-game playoff every week, survive in advance, get to the next one, and now – uh, this one will put them back in the conference championship game, most likely in Baltimore against another team that I don't think will be really excited to see, you know, in their best season that they have to go by the Chiefs again. So, you know, I think it's a it's a great opportunity for the Chiefs to have a successful season. If, if you now that because the expectations are down a little bit, getting to the conference championship game I think would satisfy most. There'll be some of the clowns that you know want to be the loudest guy at the bar with the most drinks in them that screams it's a championship or bust oh okay whatever <laughs> like that's an unrealistic expectation reality is this team had some flaws they're they're feeling the weight of that massive Patrick Mahomes contract frankly I think even more so they're feeling the weight of the Chris Jones contract 
which this will be his last year, I'm quite confident, uh, in a Chiefs uniform. But they're feeling the weight of carrying big contracts and that you can't be great everywhere. You can't be the best at each position group. And they're trying to figure out how to overcome their weaknesses. And getting to now 12 wins on the season, they've done a pretty good job of it. If they can get by the Buffalo Bills again, I think they will have done a great job of it, and it will be a successful season in my eyes for sure. Quickly, you said something there, 30 seconds. You believe Chris Jones will not be a Kansas City Chief next year? Yeah, when you look at the cap, they're going to have $35 million under the cap next year, and Chris Jones, Michael Dana, Derek Noddy, Drew Tranquil, Willie Gay, uh, Legereus Sneed, Donovan Smith, none of those guys are signed. They've got a lot of work to do with not a whole lot of cap room, and I don't see how it fits bringing Chris Jones back into the mix. Wow. All right. Very interesting. Our guy out in Kansas City is Seren Petro of Sports Radio 810. Seren, best of luck to the Chiefs on Sunday. If Kansas City goes in and stares down the Bills Mafia and gets a victory, we'll hopefully be able to dial your phone next week, my friend. Thank you for joining us. Always my pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for having me. You're the best. There you go. Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. A couple of things there. Uh, the Chris Jones thing kind of took me off guard. The Chiefs have salary cap problems, and why do they have problems? Well, because they gave Mahomes that humongous deal. That's why everybody talks about when on Trevor Lawrence's rookie contract because it will get harder. Well, it's getting harder for Kansas City. They already sent Tyreek Hill uh, out, obviously, and now they're going to have to start losing guys like Chris Jones. At least that's what Seren thinks, and he covers them every day. So you see what a big contract, a warranted contract, it's the price of doing business with a franchise quarterback. They're not complaining about it, I'm sure, but when you have to pay the quarterback what you have to pay him, you're going to have to lose guys at other key positions, like a Tyreek Hill, and apparently very soon, like a Chris Jones. So that was one. And I've been going back and forth on this game all week. I do think there is an unbelievable amount of pressure on Buffalo. Buffalo has been clamoring for years. Let's get Kansas City in our place in January. Well, now you got them in your place in January. Not many people are picking KC to go in there and win on Sunday night. I'm leaning Buffalo, but man, I think Kansas City's out to prove something. I think the Chiefs are going to play maybe their best game of the year, and I think this is an absolute nail-biter to the fourth quarter. But I do think there is something to the way the Bills are playing now, particularly Josh Allen, just finding ways to win late in games. So I'm going to take Buffalo in an unbelievably close one at home to eliminate the defending world champion, Kansas City Chiefs. We certainly appreciate Seren Petro for joining us. Now let's look at Tampa Bay and Detroit. Two number one overall picks at quarterback that were left for dead in football terms, right? I mean, Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff, the Rams didn't want Goff anymore. Mayfield went from Cleveland to Carolina to L.A. to Tampa in about a calendar year. The guys were holding on to their careers by a thread, and now one of those guys, Mayfield or Goff, is going to be playing in the NFC Championship game next week. Great stories for both. Let's talk Tampa Bay and Detroit with my buddy Mike Neighbors, formerly of First Coast News back in the day. He lives in the Tampa area. He's covered the NFC South for years, and he joins us next. Hacker After Dark on a Friday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. 
Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The divisional playoffs this weekend. And one of the surprises, certainly, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Baker Mayfield and Tampa are just one win away now from the NFC Championship game. That's hard to believe. And ironically, (laughs) they go to Detroit to play Jared Goff, also a former number one pick at quarterback who was given up on by a previous team. And one of those quarterbacks will be playing for the George Howis Trophy next week. With that, let's head to Tampa. My buddy Mike Neighbors has covered the NFL for years, including Tampa Bay and the NFC South. And he joins us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike, how you doing, man? Happy New Year, Hacker. Good to be out with you. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Last time we talked, you were on a plane to, I guess, Los Angeles, right, to knock that stadium off your list. Uh, What was that experience like for you? Uh, It was great for your audience that obviously doesn't remember that. Maybe they do. But, uh, you know, I'd been to every NFL stadium, kind of brought it up to my daughter. Never been to SoFi. The Saints kind of just avoided SoFi for a few years for a number of reasons. It was great. I still say – Having been to all of them, I'll say Minnesota is one. I'll say Jerry World, two. I will say Atlanta is up there, like three. And then SoFi is probably four. SoFi is nice, but uh, Minnesota, to me, is still the best. Interesting. I've never been to Minneapolis. I've been to Atlanta for a couple of Kenny Chesney concerts, never a football game. (laughs) But the Kenny Chesney concert aspect of Atlanta is absolutely spectacular. I'll tell you what's spectacular, Mike, are are the Buccaneers, man. I mean, they just wiped the floor with Philadelphia on Monday night, and now all of a sudden you think Tom Brady retired, they're going to go in the tank a little bit, and all of a sudden they find themselves in the NFC Divisional Playoffs, one win away from the NFC Championship game. What a ride for Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers this year. Yeah, you know, I think it's easy not to give the Bucks credit, Hacker, for a number of reasons. A, they played in the NFC South, which once again was disappointing. Uh, but B, you look at the Philly team that just struggled so mildly down the stretch, and you wonder, have they quit uh, to some degree? I mean, that's one of the worst tackling performances I've ever seen in an NFL game in my life. That was just horrendous. So if you couple the NFC South and a Philly team that you're playing that's really on the decline, that seems to have quit to some degree, um, you know, if, I, if I'm Todd Bowles, you know, I, I tell my team that nobody's giving you credit and all that stuff, you know, that kind of goes out the window when you play. But, you know, you mentioned Jared Goff and you mentioned Baker Mayfield and, you know, to, to kind of localize it uh, to Jacksonville, Alex Anzalone was a, uh, a big Saints player for many years and then got hurt and was, you know, castaway a little bit and he's been a, a vital cog in that Lions defense so I think on both sides of the football there's so many great stories you know even Todd Bowles and Dan Campbell kind of underdogs in their football career a lot of castaways in this game so whoever comes out of it um, it, it just will continue to be a great story either way. Yeah Alex Anzalone former Florida Gator and also on Detroit yeah. is uh, Mark Brunell who's the quarterback coach yeah. right, of the Detroit Lions right. so a lot of local ties there again Mike Neighbors here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike Baker Mayfield comes in on a basically like a one-year prove-it deal, right? He gets passed yeah. around last year from Carolina, uh, has a cup of coffee in Los Angeles, and now all of a sudden he ends up in Tampa, and there was legitimate talk who's going to win the job, Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask. And good yeah. grief, man, you look at Mayfield's numbers this year, he had the best year of his career. Yeah, you know what's amazing 
is when you look at the NFL and how week to week you guys saw in Jacksonville, I mean, how the storylines, how you're feeling about your football team can change on a week to week basis and how much it can really change over a month. Right. You look at the Bucks. you know, they started strong and then they had that swoon in the middle of the year. I mean, if you would have asked any Bucks fan in October, they were calling for Kyle Trask in October. They were saying there's no way Todd Bowles is going to make it out of the season. And then they rally at the end of the year. Uh, but back to Baker Mayfield. I mean, if you look within the division, this is incredible to me. Derek Carr's contract, he has a guaranteed $100 million at the end of the day. Baker Mayfield had a guaranteed $4 million. <laughs> so <laughs> it, to me, kind of heightens, um, you know, the decision-making for the Saints compared to the Bucks this season because now Baker Mayfield's in a great spot. And frankly, the Bucks are in a good spot, Hacker, because they had a great draft class. I mean, from, from really top to bottom, every pick hit – for this football team. And you know in Jacksonville how that is. If you And I know that in New Orleans, any NFL city, if you can hit on a draft class, especially in a year where you're having cap problems, that can really turn things around. Well, you know, the thing with Tampa Bay too, Mike, is everybody knew about Mike Evans, right? He's going to be in Canton, Ohio yeah. one day. You knew how good Godwin was when he was healthy. But it's the other guys, man. It's the it's the third and fourth wide receivers. The running back, Rashad uh, White's unbelievable. You look at the tight ends getting involved. It's not just Evans and Godwin anymore, and really that's propelling this Tampa offense. Yeah, and, and you know, for years in Tampa, they tried to have stopgap guys to, to compliment Godwin and Evans. I mean, I'm amazed that Julio Jones is still playing in the NFL. They tried to make that work with Tom Brady and bring him in. And obviously the Antonio Brown situation ended in a huge mess, but he helped them win a Super Bowl, even though I never agreed with that move at all. But, you know, it, some years it just hits, right? Some years you get guys that are journeymen, that contribute, that can stay healthy. That's a big part of the NFL, as we know. And then you, you hit on a draft class where, you know, Kalaja Kansi's a guy that's really helped that defensive line. Vita Vea is a mainstay in the middle, but they needed help, just like the Saints, frankly. They were the same way, but they didn't get that kind of help. It's almost as if in this division, you know, you had the upper echelon, you had the Bucks and the Saints, and everything the Saints kind of wanted happened in Tampa Bay. Uh, it didn't happen in, in New Orleans. The, the draft picks didn't pan out. The quarterback didn't pan out. Uh, the, the journeyman free agents they signed really didn't pan out. Everything kind of panned out for the Bucks. And sometimes that happens in the NFL, and that's why they're moving on. Has Baker Mayfield shown enough to be the long-term answer down there in Tampa? Yeah, I, I think so. But if I'm the Bucks, I'm careful about that. Um, I would sign him to a deal, but in this quarterback draft where you can maybe get a Michael Penix late, um, I would get a, a quarterback of the future, but I would stick with Baker. And, you know, that's a good problem to have moving forward. But Jason Light, the general manager, and Todd Bowles, they both love Baker Mayfield. And you know, obviously they're going to say that now, but Todd Bowles, when he was the Jets head coach, you know, they were drafting Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick, he has said repeatedly that he loved Baker Mayfield in that process. So he loves him even more now just seeing the kind of leader he's been. And I think Baker's grown up a little bit. I think it was humbling what happened to him in the last year playing for so many teams and being discarded uh, for Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. So um, you don't hear a teammate say anything bad. And it's funny how that narrative is 
that you hear from, you know, certain players. And then when they're in a different situation, either they've been humbled or they mature and, you know, they kind of learn from their past. And that seems to be the case with Mayfield. A couple of more from Mike Neighbors. You saw him a long time ago on First Coast News here in town. I grew up watching <laughs> Mike Neighbors. <laughs> and now you uh, see him not only covering the New Orleans Saints, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well. Hicken, had, Hicken didn't have gray hair when I worked with him. How about that's, <laughs> that's a long right. time ago. That's right. Exactly. That's exactly right. All right, Mike. Um, Detroit. Tampa Bay is going to have the Tampa Bay fan base rooting for them, and that's it on Sunday. I mean, Detroit's the yeah, darling right. of America, right? I mean, the back against the wall, nobody wants us to win. I mean, how much of a, a rallying cry is that for the Buccaneers this week? I always like this term, and I, I think uh, sometimes it can be dangerous if you're a football team hacker, but the Bucks are playing with house money. But, you know, as you know in the NFL, you got to appreciate it when times go well. You know, when you have a quarterback that you took a chance on, he's playing well. I go back to the draft picks. Uh, they've been relatively healthy all season. So I don't know if you lean on that house money, even though that's a big theme here in Tampa, because nobody thought the Bucks would go this far. I mean, I mean, I think Peter King had him two wins before the season. He wasn't alone. I mean, most people had him the bottom of the NFC South and all of that. But I'm with you. I mean, how do you not love Dan Campbell? How do you not love Lions fans crying in the stands, their first home playoff win in, in many, many years? So – uh, I think it will be a rallying cry because this team, nobody believed in them, and we've seen it time and time again in sports. When that happens, a team bonds and they get closer together, and the more they win, the more dangerous they are. So I can't wait for this football game. Uh, the Lions had their way with the Bucks earlier this season in Tampa. I think it's going to be very tough for the Bucks to win. I think the Lions will win, but uh, it'll be interesting to see the fight in this Bucks team because uh, – they are peaking at the right time. There's no doubt about it. Well, here's my thing, too, Mike. I mean, like you said, grown men crying in the stands. They brought out Eminem last week and Barry Sanders. Yeah. I mean, they, they treated that like a Super Bowl, and now all of a sudden you yeah. say, wait a minute, we got to come back and do this all over again on Sunday. I mean, will there be an emotional letdown in Detroit? And you throw in the fact that, you know, it's uh, the L.A. Rams and Jared Goff, and he can say whatever he wants, but his reaction, his look of relief in the locker room, he got that game ball and all the hugs from his teammates after that. You know, athletes can say one thing, and I, and I understand why they say it, because they need to concentrate on the game and not let the distractions become even bigger. But that was a huge game for Jared Goff. You wonder how he can, you know, keep that momentum going week to week. I think he will, because I think, you know, Dan Campbell, I just, I mean, he was in New Orleans when, when I covered the team and I just really feel like he's a special coach and he brings the best out of these guys and he will keep them focused in a special way. I think he's an elite coach in terms of motivating them and that will help them. But yeah, I mean, you can really break it down both ways and say, you know, everybody in the country is rooting against you, Tampa Bay, go after it. And then also you have all the distractions last week and you overcame it, Detroit. How do you keep that momentum going? I think they will. I think Detroit wins this game, but uh, and and I really I'm with you. I don't know how you feel, but if you have a dog in the fight in these NFL playoffs, how do you not kind of pull for Detroit, right? A little bit. I mean, it's just such a a lovable team in so many ways. Yeah, it's a great story. There's no doubt. Final moments here with Mike Neighbors. Mike, I want to talk about the NFC South at the end. Before we get there, the NFC four teams left. No Dallas. No Philadelphia. Both teams <laughs> get knocked out in embarrassing fashion. I mean, a month ago, who would have ever thought Green Bay at San Francisco, Tampa at Detroit, yet here we are. I mean, San Francisco 
if they don't make the Super Bowl, Mike, that's a that's a failure, is it not? Yeah, because they've been so close. I, I almost kind of harken back to when uh, Jim Harbaugh was at San Francisco, how they had so many close calls and they just couldn't get over the hump. I mean, I covered that Super Bowl in New Orleans where it was the Harbaugh Bowl. And it was a goal line stand that prevented Jim Harbaugh from getting there. And look at how many close calls the Niners have had recently where they, you know, Garoppolo was a deep ball away from, you know, maybe beating Mahomes and the Chiefs a few Super Bowls back. And you look at, you know, Shanahan, you you go back to the uh, Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl against the Patriots. He's the OC in that game. You know, after a while, is he going to turn into Marv Levy? I mean, there's a lot of storylines here where they've come close, but the NFL is loving every minute of this because parity reigns supreme. And it just continues to showcase, you know, people love the NFL for a lot of reasons, Hack, but it's showcased why this year, because, you know, I, you just don't know who's going to win a lot of the time. I mean, I had, you know, how shocked are we by that uh, Cowboys game? But we see it every postseason. So it's what makes the NFL special. And uh, I'm with you. I, I would think this would be San Francisco's year, but this Green Bay team, you talk about house money. I mean, they're young. And uh, pretty fearless team right now, and that wouldn't make them dangerous. Mike, as we wrap up, you've done a lot of work with the Saints and the Bucks. Obviously, they're in the NFC South for years. Carolina's still got a job opening, but maybe the bigger one is Atlanta with word coming out yeah. that there's going to be a second interview now with Bill Belichick. Your thoughts on potentially Bill Belichick coming to the NFC South? Well, here's what I wanted to happen, and I don't wish anybody to to lose their jobs, but we in the media love a good story, right? This is let me just before I answer that question, can you imagine this hacker? Let's just say the Bucks lost to the Eagles and it wasn't pretty, right? Let's say Belichick comes to Tampa and a team that's kind of built to win and wins a Super Bowl. How would that kind of muddy the Brady Belichick debate if he did that? I was kind of looking for that, but I, I, you know, I think it's interesting. You look at the Falcons. I would think that Bill Belichick would want to step into a situation where they're close. And then this quarterback laden draft, you know, if he goes out and gets a veteran quarterback and drafts the future, um, you know, they have Kyle Pitts and, uh, you know, Robinson. I mean, all these, all these weapons on offense. Drake London, all those guys. Yeah. And and they have a great offensive line. That's pretty up and coming. The defense is solid. I think that would be attractive. The only thing with Belichick is the quarterback situation. You would think he'd want some more stability there. But from a storyline perspective, to have Belichick in the NFC South uh, to spice it up, uh, let's I'm signing up. Let's do it. Yeah, that would be great. Potentially, uh, Belichick might get some revenge on the Saints after the Saints decided to run up the score on Atlanta there in Week 18. Although that was Jameis that did that, right? That was a team decision that Jameis decided to do. Uh, So that'll be an interesting storyline moving forward. And, yeah, if Belichick goes to Atlanta, what a situation that would be there in the ATL. Mike Neighbors, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike, if Tampa Bay pulls the upset, brother, we'll probably dial your phone again next week. Always appreciate you, my friend. Anytime, uh, give all my friends at 1010 a hello and a prosser hug from me. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Halftime, Hacker After Dark, one hour down, one hour to go. We'll take you up till 10 o'clock tonight here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Coming up at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, we will go over to Tallahassee. Kurt Weiler of the Osceola, that is the Rivals.com website covering Florida State. 
Boy, they've been very good in the transfer portal. Again, Mike Norvell, a brand-new eight-year contract extension in Tallahassee. We'll talk a little Florida State with Kurt Weiler of the Osceola and coming up in less than 10 minutes, Baltimore-Houston tomorrow. Should be bad weather, apparently, in Baltimore. It's going to be very cold. That should bode well for the Ravens, you would think. Luke Jones is our man in Baltimore, WNST Radio, as we preview the Texans and the Ravens. I've gone back and forth on a lot of these games this weekend, and I hate doing this because I think one or two of these teams is bound to lose, but I think I'm going every home team. As boring as that is, I think I'm going Baltimore and San Francisco tomorrow, Detroit and Buffalo in close ones. Close ones on Sunday. I wanted to pick Tampa, and truthfully, I thought about picking Kansas City, but I think I'm going to go all four home teams. Now, history will tell you one or maybe even two of these home teams is bound to lose this weekend. Normally, all four home teams in the divisional round do not win, but that's what I think is going to happen. Give me Baltimore and San Francisco tomorrow. Give me the Lions and the Bills on Sunday. Speaking of Baltimore, let's go to Baltimore. Luke Jones, WNST Radio. He is our guy when it comes to the Ravens. Let's preview Baltimore and, of course, the AFC South champion, ugh, Houston Texans. That's next. Friday night edition, Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. It's 1010XL and it's 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Baltimore Ravens coming off a bye week, the number one seed in the AFC. They will get their playoffs started in the divisional round on Saturday, playing the champions of the AFC South. And I know that still rubs people here in Jacksonville the wrong way, but the AFC South champion, Houston Texans, who are coming off demolishing the Cleveland Browns last week. C.J. Stroud versus Lamar Jackson. That should be a lot of fun. Let's head up to Baltimore. Our guy up in Baltimore is Luke Jones of WNST Radio. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Luke, how you doing? Doing well. How are you, despite the, the disappointment with the Jaguars that we don't have to get into right now? Well, yeah, I mean, clearly, when, when you if I would have told you, you know, a month ago, that in the divisional round you'd be playing the AFC South champion, I think you probably would have thought it would be Jacksonville, as we would have, Luke. But certainly Houston has been unbelievable this year. And I go back to week one, the regular season opener. It was Houston at Baltimore, and there's no one that thought we would see this matchup in the divisional round. But kudos to the Houston Texans for getting to this point. No question about it. And what's actually interesting, Ryan, is that John Harbaugh kind of went out of his way the day after that game to compliment the Houston Texans. And look, we know coaches, uh, anytime you hear them talk about opponents, they're, they're hyping them up to be the best team in the league. But this was unprovoked, and he said, look, that's a good young team. They're going to win a lot of games this year. Now, did John Harbaugh think they were going to win the AFC South and be playing them uh, in the divisional round? Probably not, to your point. But uh, I think it's a team that has really improved as the year has gone on. I mean, C.J. Stroud uh, has played outstanding football. Lamar Jackson was asked about him earlier this week. Uh, and uh, while Lamar didn't watch the, the Houston-Cleveland game in real time, 
he really complimented him and said, look, I mean, he's doing a good job. And I mean, to do that in his first career playoff game, I didn't play that well in mine, uh, which was, you know, a quip and part of the narrative that continues to surround Lamar Jackson in January. But uh, I think with the way that the Jaguars played uh, Cleveland on Saturday, uh, I've said this much on, on the air here locally, they better have the Ravens' attention now because this is a, a Houston team that uh, has played really, really well down the stretch. Really, other than the, the games that, that C.J. Stroud missed, I mean, it's been a while since they've lost. So uh, this is a team that I think the Ravens are clearly better than, but I think the Ravens need to start fast coming off this long layoff. Uh, if they don't, they can find themselves in a heck of a dogfight on Saturday. You know, let's dive into Baltimore, Luke. I know you and I talked in the preseason, and at that point – Prior to any injuries or anything, the thought was the AFC was Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati, in whatever order. And then you had your Jacksonvilles, your Baltimores, maybe your Jets, your Miamis. And obviously what played out over the course of the year is Baltimore was a heck of a lot better than most people on the outside believed. Yeah, and I think so much of it, Ryan, it really comes down to the health of Lamar Jackson. I mean, let's face it. Go back the last couple years. Look where the Ravens were in the AFC hierarchy, the AFC playoff standings, at the moment that Lamar Jackson got hurt each of the last two Decembers. And I think you'd find that maybe we shouldn't be quite this surprised by what the Ravens did. Now, that said, they did have some roster turnover. Uh, They had a new offensive coordinator in Todd Munkin. The, the contract saga with Lamar Jackson the last couple of years, I mean, there, was, there were so many distractions on that front. You go back a couple of years ago, all the injuries they had, uh, not just Lamar, but uh, to the rest of their roster, uh, which really kind of dismantled them back in 2021. So uh, I think uh, for the Ravens, this has kind of been four years in the making. I, I think you look at where the Ravens were back in 2019 when Lamar was unanimous MVP. The Ravens had, I think, 13 guys play in the Pro Bowl or at least selected in the Pro Bowl that year. And they were 14-2, and two, had won 12 games in a row going into January until they lost to the Tennessee Titans. And really since then, they've been trying to get back to that stage where they're the number one seed, home field advantage, et cetera. So uh, clearly their defense has played at an exceptionally high level. Uh, and this offense, albeit it took a little bit of time early in the season, uh, it, they've really taken off over the last six weeks or so of the regular season. So – I'm in agreement with you. I mean, and look, I picked Cincinnati to win the AFC North like many people did. But at the same time, I can't sit here and say I'm stunned by this because when you do look back at the circumstances of the last couple of years, it kind of makes sense that the Ravens had fallen off a little bit, at least in terms of being in that top tier, along with Buffalo, Kansas City, of course, and Cincinnati the last couple of years. Luke Jones, WNST Radio in Baltimore, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Luke, and talking about Lamar Jackson, he's going to be the MVP this year, as he should be. He's been absolutely sensational, but there is no doubt that he has struggled in the postseason. How much of a talking point has that been up there this week that Lamar needs to change some of his postseason history? Well, it's not just this week. It's been four years. Uh, I mean, really, it has been a long time, and obviously it comes into focus this week and also last week where you have bi-week availability and you don't have an opponent to talk about. So clearly it's come up a lot. But I think what's interesting, and as I just alluded to uh, with the previous answer, I mean, Lamar, it's been three years since he's played in a playoff game. I mean, obviously I mentioned the disappointment where the Ravens were the number one seed against Tennessee in that 2019 postseason. 
the following year, you know, they went on the road and won at Tennessee in the wild card game, but then Lamar threw a big pick six, was injured at the end of that divisional round loss to Buffalo uh, in, what, January of 2021, 2020 postseason. And he hasn't been in the postseason since then. I mean, the Ravens, uh, he was hurt at the end of 21. They didn't make it. Last year, they made it as a wild card, but he was out with the knee injury. So, it's. I mean, this has been a talking point for so long. Uh, I think, you know, it, as is the case so often with Lamar, beauty is in the eye of the, the beholder. I mean, he's had his detractors who, to this day, will continue to try to be dismissive of the success he's had, which is just crazy to me. On the flip side, there's been legitimate criticism, and part of that has been, yeah, he hasn't played his best football in January. But as I've also pointed out, there are lots of guys you can say that about uh, on this team. And even go you know, look at John Harbaugh, who won a uh, Super Bowl back in 2012. Since then, and we're talking 11-plus years, he has two playoff wins. So it's really been organization-wide where they've had this regular season success, and especially uh, since Lamar became the starting quarterback. But it hasn't translated to January success. So you, know, you can look at that, and you can kind of look at it one of two ways. You can just say, well, this is the way it's going to be. Uh, and that's the way detractors have talked about him and been dismissive of Lamar's regular season success. Or you can look at it through the lens of other quarterbacks in, in, in NFL history. I mean, look at someone like Peyton Manning, for example. Go look at his postseason track record over his first five or six years before Indianapolis finally broke through. So it's really hard to do. The other teams playing in January, especially when you get past the wild card round, they all are, are deserving of being there, and they're formidable. Either they had a great regular season or they're the, a, a team like Houston who's getting hot at the right time. So it's such a huge part uh, of the storyline this week. You know, it's such a huge talking point. I mean, no, Lamar's future is not in danger or anything like that, of course. But, boy, I, I shudder to think, especially if they don't at least get to the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl, if they were to bow out this week against Houston – I shudder to think uh, what this offseason will be like talking about this team that has been so successful, led by, to your point, what's going to be a two-time NFL MVP, and yet only have one playoff win over the Lamar Jackson era. I mean, I, I can't you – know, it's something that I shudder to think about because it'll be not ugly necessarily. I hope not too ugly, but, boy, it would be that unsettling uh, to, to, to be talking about that for another year. Couple of more for Luke Jones of WNST Radio in Baltimore. Luke, Thursday night in November, Cincinnati at Baltimore. The big story nationally was the Burrow injury for the Bengals. What was lost nationally that night was the injury to Mark Andrews. And then people realized how big a deal that potentially was for Baltimore. And then Isaiah likely came in and played very well at tight end. But the thought at the time was Mark Andrews is probably done. I can't believe we're even having this conversation less than two months later, but what is Mark Andrews' status going into this weekend? It's going to be really interesting, Ryan. I mean, he's practicing, uh, albeit on a limited basis. Uh, he, he was designated to return to practice from injured reserve last Friday. So, you know, we're not talking about a ton of practices he's going to log. So I'm a little more, I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but I'm uncertain uh, about whether we're going to see him uh, against Houston. At the same time, it's all hands on deck, right? It's a one-week season. I mean, even if you're a team like the Ravens who has had all this success, you know that you're in danger of a bad three hours and you're going home on Saturday. So 
Uh, I think if we do see Mark Andrews, I would expect it to be on a very limited basis, probably on a very limited snap count, uh, at least against Houston. Now we could talk about uh, maybe that expanding uh, if he responds well, uh, if they do advance to the AFC championship, but uh, it's clearly a big lift. And as, as you uh, noted, Isaiah likely has done a heck of a job for them to the point where, I mean, their offense, not suggesting he's been better than Mark Andrews, but their offense collectively played even better down the stretch. And I just think that's a credit to the, to the way Lamar's playing and the way the entire operation has gone. But certainly if you can get Mark Andrews back, even if it's just in a third down red zone kind of capacity, uh, I mean, you're talking about an offense that becomes even more dangerous, even more formidable uh, in trying to stop. So, uh, you know, we'll see uh, in terms of Saturday and obviously they'll, they'll have to activate him from injured reserve and, you know, if they do that, that'll be a, a tell that, okay, you, you expect them to go. But, you know, we'll see because it has only been a, a few practices. And while I would say he's moving pretty well, you can, you can definitely tell that the, this is a guy coming off of a, a major ankle injury just two months ago. But to your point, what a story that this is even part of the conversation because they said at the time best case was he might be back late in the postseason. Oh, it's the divisional round and he's practicing. That's not all that late. So really is a credit to him and, and his work rehabbing. Isaiah likely absolutely destroyed the Jaguars on uh, what was that Sunday night football. And if you bring Mark Andrews back, even in a limited capacity, boy, what a one-two punch potentially at tight end for the Ravens this postseason. Luke, as we begin to wrap up, it's all right there for Baltimore, right? Somebody's going to have to come in there and beat the Ravens. They have home field. They're the number one seed. I'm just curious from the Baltimore fan base's perspective, from the media perspective like you, in comes Houston, right? They're they're young. Maybe they don't realize they're not supposed to be playing this well. A rookie quarterback in the divisional round of the playoffs. I mean, is there any uneasiness in Baltimore about this game on Saturday? There is, and it's just because of history. I mean, it's what I mentioned four years ago in 2019. I mean, the Ravens were 14-2 and two that year. You know, they were the best team in the league analytically, you know, DVOA and all these different metrics you talk about. I mean, they had the best point differential in the NFL. I think best since the 2007 Patriots, uh, the 2019 Ravens had in terms of point differential. And they lost in the divisional round to the Titans. They started slow. You know, it was a similar situation. Bye week, rested some starters in the last game of the regular season. And they started slow, and they never recovered. So I think there's trepidation on that front. Maybe not trepidation, but some nervousness, some uneasiness. Uh, and I, that's why I think it's of the utmost importance for this team to start fast on Saturday. If they do, I think they can win this game. I don't want to say it'll be a blowout because, again, I, don't, I, I think Houston's playing some really good football on both sides of the ball. But I think the Ravens on paper are clearly the better team. You know, I'm not talking out of turn and saying that. But until they go out there and do that, just given the history uh, of this franchise, re- recent history, uh, and Lamar Jackson individually, despite all of his greatness in the regular season, I, I think it's a little unnerving, uh, especially knowing uh, what they did, what, what Houston did to a division rival, and frankly, how Houston played against the AFC North over the course of the season, knowing how good the division was. So, uh, even though they haven't played them since back in Week One, and it might as well be a different season uh, at this point, you know, there's at least enough evidence. I think that it's like I said, you know, at the start of our conversation. The Ravens, you know, the, the, the Texans better have their attention because uh, they're, they're going to come in and, and ready to play if the Ravens come out flat or a little bit sleepy coming out of the bye. 
Luke, final question. I mean, clearly Baltimore is the favorite in this game. It would be a pretty big upset if Houston were to come in there and win. So let's imagine a scenario where they do win the game. Would there be a preference as to Kansas City or Buffalo in the AFC Championship game? I mean, I think on paper, based on what they've been, probably Kansas City, but Kansas City has the pedigree. I mean, the reality is you're going through the team that, you know, for years it was the Ravens in the Joe Flacco era. They were chasing New England and Indianapolis. Kansas City is the new New England in the AFC. So they've done it. They've been there. It's Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Even with that offense, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, you don't want to be too dismissive there. But I've said it for a while. I think the Bills, they're, they're so, I don't even, bipolar, for lack of a better term. I mean, they look like the best team in football for stretches of games. And then you've seen some of the losses they have. Or you even see uh, during the Pittsburgh game for some stretches where they kind of let them back in. So I think Buffalo is the more talented team. So, you know, from that standpoint, you prefer Kansas City. But the Chiefs have the pedigree. So I guess that, that's a long way of saying I don't think it really matters. I think both of uh, their potential AFC championship opponents are, are quite formidable. But, hey, it'll just make the story that much better for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens if they break through. Either you're breaking through against a team that's been at the top of the mountain or uh, against another team that you've lost to in the playoffs and has you know, been, been duking it out uh, in terms of trying to unseat Kansas City. Baltimore is two home wins away from going to the Super Bowl. It should be a lot of fun on Saturday. The Texans and the Ravens in the AFC Divisional Playoff. Luke Jones is our guy up in Baltimore, WNST Radio. Luke, I know you're busy. Thank you for the time, as always. If Baltimore gets it done on Saturday, man, hopefully we'll be able to dial your phone next week. Sounds good, Ryan. Uh, Take care. Enjoy the games this weekend. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, the NFL playoffs in full swing. We got a lot going on in the world of sports. The NBA reaching the halfway point. And in the world of college football, we have crowned a national champion. The transfer portal was going out of control. And oh my goodness, the coaching turnover or lack thereof last week. With that, let me go over to Tallahassee. Our guy when it comes to Florida State is Kurt Weiler of the Osceola. That is the Rivals website that covers Florida State athletics, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Kurt, how you doing? I am uh, doing well. You uh, spoke to it well about the chaos of everything that's been happening. I mean, it's the offseason, but is there really an offseason? Kurt, $80 million plus for, for Mike Norvell, an eight-year extension last week amidst the rumors of Alabama. There's a lot to get into, but just first and foremost, your thoughts on Florida State locking down Mike Norvell with that long-term contract. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a significant deal. I mean, lockdown is relative because, truthfully, I mean, he had a fairly low buyout. We don't know yet what his new buyout's going to be, but there's a world where you're in this, in this – uh, in, in something like this, again, of some some certain jobs. I mean, there aren't many jobs that are more desirable than Florida State, but they exist. I mean, Alabama's probably one of them. So there's a world where you're dealing with this again, but I mean, it's a big deal because uh, it, it certainly, I mean, especially with all the talent they are losing off off of this past year's team, and next year will already be a bit of like a, I, I don't think it's going to be like some huge step back, but it will. They, I don't think they're going to be a team that's going to go undefeated again. And and if you lost the coach on top of that, I mean, and all the all that Mike has done in Tallahassee, it would have felt like a really big reset, and it would have been hard not to to be really discouraged after after everything that Florida State had been through over the last two months. 
if if that was kind of the final blow. You cover the team every day as close as anybody over there. If I were to tell you in August of 2022 that 17 months later, Mike Norvell would sign an eight-year contract that would pay him in excess of $10 million per year, what would your reaction have been? I mean, I probably would have wondered if Florida State had had won a national title in the last two years. You know, I mean, it, it, it's that type of – I mean, I, you saw the progress. I think we thought the 2022 season had a chance to be special, and we definitely thought that of 2023. But uh, the, uh, the, the climb, as he calls it, has been pretty remarkable with how linear and uh, consistent it has been. Kurt Weiler of the Osceola. All right. How close, in your opinion – do you think Mike Norvell was to being the next head coach at Alabama? That's uh, that's the kind of thing that we'll never know for sure on this, whether it was uh, he, he was legitimately interested and they chose Kalen DeBoer or whether he was the first choice or second choice or third choice. You never really know. And if he passed, I mean, I don't think Florida State fans especially care. Thankfully, I don't think they're I think they would understand why someone might be tempted by Alabama, especially after what Florida State just went through with the snub. But uh I mean, he, he he played the game well with his agent. He played the – I mean, Dan Lanning came out and shut it down pretty quickly. I know Dan Lanning's been one to do that. Mike definitely uh, did not immediately assuage those concerns, but uh, that it got there in time was, was all that really mattered in the end. How did Mike Norvell do this? I, I mean, I'm always using him as an example for what Billy Napier and Mario Cristobal could become. Now, maybe that's wishful thinking for Gator and Hurricane fans, but there isn't a Seminole fan listening right now that would have expected this 17 months ago. I mean, how did Norvell go from his first two years and not making a bowl game to now being one of the highest-paid coaches in college football? I think the biggest thing is he had a plan coming in. He believed that what he – that his idea, his blueprint could lead to success, and he stuck to it. I think uh, there are plenty of people who, I mean, when it started like it did in the COVID year, when you have the Jacksonville State loss early 2021, and when he was, what, three and nine through his first 12 games at FSU, there'd be, there would have been plenty of people who, who would have panicked, would have tried to find other things to fix it, would have wavered. And I think that he held true, that he still believed through all of that is a big reason why it paid off because, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to argue the results now. It's been two and a half weeks since whatever that was down at the Orange Bowl. I thought that was a bad day for college football. I mean, when Kirby Smart, the opposing coach, says college football needs to figure out what they're doing with these bowl games, I don't think Georgia took a lot of satisfaction in 63-3 over a junior varsity Florida State team. But did that take away from anything the Seminoles did, Kurt, or – was that just, uh, you know, will that be easily forgotten when you think back on the 2023 season? No, I, I, obviously it was used as, I think, kind of a bad faith argument from a lot of people of why Florida State clearly didn't belong in the playoffs. I think to the fan base, to the team, no, not especially. I think I think they will remember. I mean, I think one local restaurant in town here already made 13-0 classes, kind of want to commemorate the team that was and, and, and the snub that kept them from the chance to uh, – Com- compete in the playoffs so no I, I it was tough to watch it was tough to cover I I would normally have gone down there kind of the whole time but I only drove down the day before just because I I, I I could tell it was it was fairly predictable how that was going to go just given the state of things and given Georgia was fairly intact and they're not comparable situations but Georgia was intact and Georgia was motivated after they lost their last game and, and lost their playoff spot so uh I, but as far as Florida State 
outside of it, no. I, I, I think I think that will be a footnote that is not remembered. I don't think it puts a sour note on on what this team accomplished through the first 13 games. Kurt Weiler of the Osceola here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, we turn the page, and you mentioned the guys that are leaving, and there's a lot of guys that are leaving. Um, you mentioned it won't be rebuild, and I agree with you because there are good players coming in and good players coming back. But clearly, Kurt, they are losing an immense amount of talent on both sides of the ball. Definitely. I think, I mean, I kind of, so many guys came back last year with the idea of January to January was kind of their mantra of everybody coming back for one more year. I think uh, there kind of was a sense of we know we're going to have to replace a lot in 2024 because of how all in we're going for 2023. And that obviously makes how things ended that much tougher that they didn't kind of get that chance after doing everything right. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 there were there will be. I mean, they've they've done a good job. It'll be interesting. I mean, you'll have a lot of guys stepping into bigger roles, and this spring should be fascinating to watch of uh, how that develops because you are replacing a lot of production all over the place. Mike Norvell is the king of the transfer portal. At least he has been in years past, and he's putting a nice little class together this year. Headlined by DJU making his third stop. He was the quarterback at Clemson then to Oregon State, and now to Florida State. What did his commitment mean for the Seminoles moving forward? I think it was a big deal in that you don't have to throw either Brock Glenn out there as a redshirt freshman next year or true freshman Luke Cromanhawk because with, with Tate Rodemaker leaving, once it became clear Florida State was taking a transfer, those were your only two kind of returning or new options. So, I think it was important. I think he is a guy who can serve as a, a bridge. And I'm not sure he's a guy who can win you a national title, but that's not really – I'm not sure that's what this season's about. I think this season's about continuing most of the momentum, not going from 13-0 and to 7-5 and or something like that. And I think he's a guy who can do that. I think he was much better at, at Oregon State than he was at Clemson. And I think kind of how Clemson still struggled last year showed that he wasn't really the problem. The problem went far beyond him there. Mike Norvell pokes the bear a little bit. He's taking transfers from Miami. He just took a starting offensive lineman from Florida and Richie Leonard. Uh, the commitment of Roy Dell Williams, the Alabama running back. I mean, again, Kurt, and you and I have talked about this for a couple of years now, Mike Norvell, I mean, throw in Lane Kiffin, maybe a little bit of what Louisville's doing this offseason, but good grief, man, every year Norvell just cleans up in the transfer portal. Yeah. No, he, he, he has, uh, he has done, he has done well, certainly. I think, I mean, a big need was defensive end and they've added I think, three defensive ends and an interior, uh, defensive lineman really shored up that unit. I think, uh, they could stand out a little at linebacker, but I think, I think at this point it'll have to be a post spring, but, uh, yeah, he has, uh, definitely, uh, I think it's been a bigger transfer class than I think they thought. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be because they maybe had a bit more attrition than they thought they would have, but he, uh, as he always does, has pivoted very well. People asked if that was sustainable, right? Can you keep rebuilding team after team, year after year, through the transfer portal? I think Norvell is proving that it is sustainable because, you know, the recruiting classes in high school weren't the greatest for the last couple of years. That's now beginning to change. And even though he put together a top 10 recruiting class, he is still putting together a terrific portal class. Yeah, I think the jury's still out. And obviously, sustainable is relative. Like, whether whether you can win a national title with a team built that way, we haven't seen that yet, but the portal's still relatively young. But in terms of, I mean, I think winning consistently eight, nine games at the very least, yes. I think I think you can absolutely 
do that through the portal. And I do think they're going to do it less and less, like you said. I mean, this this recruiting class they just signed was in the top five for much of the the, the final months. I think finished 10th or in that neighborhood and uh, is definitely a step in the right direction. I think the 2025 class is in, is in strong shape. A few guys they're in on from over in your neck of the woods. Uh, one already committed, Tramiel Jones. Uh, but I think uh, he, he, there will always be, to me, I think you'll always can stand to add in the trenches through the portal. I think you can always stand to just like, I mean, if you have attrition, you're not expecting. And just generally, I mean, I think it, ideally it will be less. But, I mean, even look at Georgia took a few in the portal this year. They, they, they took a receiver. I think they took a, a, a they took running back from Florida. So, they've. Uh, I think everyone's starting to adapt a little more to it. Final moments with Kurt Waller of the Osceola covering Florida State. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, a couple of pieces of business. Number one, the NCAA came out last week with, I guess, some sanctions against Florida State because they drove a potential recruit, I guess, to an NIL situation. What was that all about? Because I know nationally a lot of people looked at that like, wow, if you're going to penalize a team for that, I think every college in America is going to get penalized at some point. People thought the NCAA was a little harsh there. Oh, I, I absolutely think that's the uh, that's the case because, uh, yeah, I mean, I saw somebody I think say on Twitter, I can't remember who offhand, but they're basically like, oh, if, if that is like that level of NIL violation and that type of penalty, we may as well just vacate the, the 2023 season because, like, yeah, I think that is – I think that Florida State didn't do anything anybody else did. I think where, where Florida State got in trouble – I think is they uh, they hosted a transfer prospect, a very good one. This is the person in question, and he didn't end up coming. He ended up going back to his former school. And obviously, once things happen, I think that is therein lies the problem. The guy who ends up with you is less likely to want to talk about it than someone who maybe ends up uh, somewhere else. But uh, yeah, I, I'm curious to see how fast things happen because I do think. I mean, I saw I think someone with with Yahoo Sports said. Uh, I mean, I have screenshots of people who are still at schools reaching out, coaches, and saying, hey. I want you to like much more tampering than what Florida State did. But uh, it's interesting that, that they chose to make Florida State the first example like that. I guess Alex Atkins was is the main um, recipient yeah. of the sanctions, if you will. How much, if at all, will that affect Florida State's recruiting over the next couple of years? They lose a couple of valuation days. They lose, I think, a few visit weekends. Alex, I think, already served. He wasn't allowed to. I think it was like – last fall this past fall he was not allowed to go recruit off campus so he like has already served that they'll be down a few scholarships i think they have to lose five total scholarships over the next two years it doesn't affect postseason or anything like that that was obviously florida state fans initial fears but uh no i think they'll be i don't think it will be that big a deal i mean we've seen plenty of people deal with with similar penalties just fine final question kurt the acc and florida state it's been quiet for a little bit but these things tend to heat up very quickly where is all of that with florida state and still trying to get out of the atlantic coast conference yeah i think uh, we've reached the point now where i mean both i think the florida state is trying to uh, say that the case should be held in tallahassee uh the acc is trying to say it should be held in north carolina i think both have retained uh, a representation in the other states i think the, the acc found a tallahassee law firm and uh FSU found a North Carolina full law firm and we're kind of, I think uh, we'll, I'm interested to see how far this goes along. Cause I really can't imagine a world where this actually gets to the trial process because I think discovery would be potentially pretty bad for the ACC. 
So uh, it, it will be interesting to see how this progresses because I, I, it's hard to imagine it going to a trial. But, I mean, they also can't let Florida State just get out at a reduced number because then the rest of the ACC uh, higher-ups would follow and the conference would be in real trouble. I mean, to dumb it down to be as simple as possible for common folk like, like myself, is Florida State going to be in the Atlantic Coast Conference this time next year? Um, so they're stuck in through at least, I think it's June, 2025. They would have had to, if they wanted out this August or this July, they would have had to let them know last August. So, uh, I would, it'd be interesting to see, I, I would not be surprised if they are on their way out at that point, but they will still be in technically for at least, uh, this one more football season. And they have until August if they want to, uh, officially get out for 2025 season. Wow, very interesting. Kurt Weiler of the Osceola. Kurt, tell Florida State fans here in Jacksonville about the website and about what you guys are going to be doing over the coming weeks. It's uh, still recruiting season over here. I think they're about to kick off, ramp, really ramp up the uh, 2025 recruiting. Uh, the Florida State basketball team's trending in the right direction. Be baseball season before we know it. And uh, spring football will also be here before we know it. He's one of our guys over in Tallahassee, my buddy Kurt Weiler of the Osceola. Kurt, always appreciate the time, man. We'll do it again soon. Sounds good, Ryan. Thank you. And thank you to Kurt Weiler of the Osceola for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Because, again, craziness in Tallahassee. Who would have ever thought a year and a half ago that Mike Norvell would get an eight-year extension paying him $10 million per year? But to his credit, the first two years did not go well. He kept grinding, and now here he is, one of the highest-paid coaches in the country. So kudos to Norvell and Florida State. Again, they're doing another great job this year in the transfer portal. My big takeaway of the evening here on Hacker After Dark, it's all about the divisional playoffs, right? You got Houston and Baltimore tomorrow, Saturday afternoon. Give me Baltimore, and I kind of like Baltimore relatively big. Houston's kind of the trendy pick. Houston's not great on the road against good football teams. Give me Baltimore in that one. Tomorrow night, Green Bay, San Francisco. I just don't think Green Bay can do it two weeks in a row. It's a short week for the Packers. They played on Sunday. They got to turn around and play on Saturday against maybe the best team in the NFC in the San Francisco 49ers. So give me San Francisco in that one. On Sunday, I think Detroit needs to be careful, man. I really do. All the emotion of last week bringing out Eminem and Barry Sanders and grown men crying in the stands with that playoff win, and now you got to turn around and do it all over again seven days later against a very good Tampa Bay Buccaneer team that is playing their best football of the year. I'm going to take Detroit. But I think it's very, very close. I think the Lions definitely need to be careful here. And as far as the game Sunday night, I just can't wait to see Patrick Mahomes in a white jersey signifying a road playoff game. It's his first road playoff game in his career. It happens to come in Buffalo against the Bills Mafia. Look, all the pressure, all the pressure is on Buffalo. I mean, they wanted Mahomes in Buffalo. They got him. Right, If they don't win the game, whew, the feedback that they will get from the Bills Mafia. So even though Kansas City's the defending world champion, Buffalo's got all the pressure. I just think Buffalo's the better football team. I think they're playing better. So, yeah, I don't like it, but I'm going with the four home teams this weekend. I'm Give me Baltimore and San Francisco tomorrow. Give me Detroit and a close one and Buffalo coming up 
on Sunday, and that means the AFC Championship game, in my opinion, will be Buffalo at Baltimore, and the NFC Championship game will be Detroit at San Francisco. Well, that'll just about do it. What has been a very busy Friday night edition and really a very busy week here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank for tonight's show. Again, Kurt Weiler of the Osceola covering Florida State Athletics. Thank you to Luke Jones, WNST Radio in Baltimore for previewing the Ravens and the Texans. Thank you to my buddy Mike Neighbors, who's covered the NFC South for years. Mike, formerly of First Coast News here in Jacksonville, now lives in the Tampa area as we preview Tampa and Detroit. And thank you to Seren Petro of Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City as we talk Chiefs, Bills, even a little Taylor Swift as well. So we appreciate all those gentlemen for joining us here this evening. We will be back Monday night, and we will talk about the divisional round of the playoffs. We will talk about the championship games that are set. And who knows, maybe by the next time we talk, a couple of the head coaching openings in the National Football League will have been filled by that point. Dylan Denmark was your producer. Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending not only your Friday evening with us, but really your entire week with us here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate it here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Friday evening and a fantastic weekend, and we will do it all over again Monday night beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.